giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Friday, February 1st. I am Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Steve Snyder. How's it going, Steve? Fabulous. Awesome. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, Steve, could you really quickly just sort of summarize what you do? Uh, sure. I uh, actually work at a law firm. It's Gesmer Updegrove here in Boston. But thankfully, I don't, uh, I don't practice law. Mm. Um, I, uh, I'm an entrepreneur in residence there. I work with entrepreneurs to help them grow their businesses, focusing on business challenges. I don't mention the L word, law or legal. Okay. Gotcha. So I'm going to try and experiment uh, with something I actually haven't ever done on the podcast before. Um, could you take three minutes, and I'm going to time you, and summarize your life so far in as much detail as possible? Wow. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Why don't I start uh, by telling you I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, mm-hmm. uh, came to college in Boston, went to undergraduate business school at Boston University, then BU Law School, uh, practiced law for 12 years, working with tech entrepreneurs to help them grow their companies, doing lots of VC deals, acquisitions, public offerings. How was college? I, I went by that very rapidly, didn't yeah. I? College was great. I love Boston. Mm-hmm. Fabulous place. Yeah. And so I practiced law for 12 years, but practicing law was never my passion. Growing companies has always been my passion. Mm. So for the next 17 years, I ran three software companies and a healthcare service firm. Uh-huh. And it was a spectacular experience. In every case, growing companies, building teams, getting them financed, and helping create liquidity events. Mm-hmm. And then I've been at Gesmer for four and a half years. Uh huh. So how did I do in terms of time? Well, you crushed it in terms of time, but uh, I, I kind of want more details. You said you just sort of went over three software companies. How, can you tell me a little bit more about those? Of course. Of course. The first was a software company that was a storage management software company. Mm-hmm. When I joined it, the company was about $1.2 million in revenue. Uh, we grew the company in terms of revenue profitability, got it financed, and sold it to BMC Software in Houston. Hmm. What does it mean to get it financed? Well, there are different types of financing. In this instance, there were angel investors that that invested in the company. Okay. And then we identified a venture capital firm who invested in the company. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, and they all made out well in the acquisition, as did the founder. Okay. The second company was a facility and asset management software company in Cambridge. It was a spinoff from an architectural firm. And so on day one, it was the founder and me. Huh. And we built the company from there. Again, got it financed with angel investors and venture capitalists, and it too was sold off. Was, so the founder was. This is a software company. A software company for he would, managing storage. No, like this that? was a facility and asset management software company. Okay. So you could actually look at your monitor with the software mm-hmm. and see how every square foot of a building was being used hmm. by department, by division, what was being used, what was not being used. Huh. And so it, it it was almost like defragging, you know what defragging Yeah, is? I do. So yeah. defragging a building. That's a nice analogy. So that companies with millions of square feet of space could see what, how it was being used and where there was empty space. They could move people off floors or out of buildings. Right. And then either lease or sell those buildings. So companies could save hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in a very short period of time by using their space more efficiently. Interesting. So so in this company, you had a technical founder? He was a, Te- a programmer? Definitely a technical founder. He created the software. Okay. And then you were the business guy? I was. I was the operations guy, really focusing on marketing, sales, finance, and building the team and 
growing the company. Interesting. So on day one, it's it's him hacking on the product, and you. It was actually It was actually a finished product. Okay. When I came on board, it, it was part of a large architectural firm, and we oh, right. spun this out from the architectural firm and built this little company. Huh. And what was that experience like? Um, it was exciting. It was exciting to be at a, such an early stage at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then to grow the company and really see the fruits of our, our labor yeah. created. So it was wonderful. And the third company was a uh, was a uh, online data backup company that, uh, when I joined, was about eight million dollars in revenue, uh-huh. and was sold when it was about fifteen million in revenue. And so that was a great experience as well. My focus there was, uh, for the most part, business development, channel strategy, partnering, uh, customer service, marketing, and sales. That's a lot of different things. Entrepreneurs wear lots of hats. <laughs> yeah. Was this, does this Amerivault? That, that this was Amerivault. Okay, so you, the, uh, your, the bio on your site says you were vice president of business development? Vice, uh, vice president of business compliance. Okay. And then took over the customer service role, strategic partnerships, and was intimately involved in marketing and sales. Wow, so, so those are pretty different fields. Those are a lot of different hats. I mean, customer service versus sales, right? Or Customer service was different, yeah. but the rest were all about driving revenue. It's all about finding ways to drive revenue and grow the company. Mm-hmm. And that's what's fun. Yeah. At least for me. That's your favorite part? Uh, my favorite part. Thankfully, the technical folks kept me away from the code. Right. Uh, and I got to stay on the business side. Okay. So I, I, I noticed a bunch of times, on, and this might just be the fact that this is an entrepreneur and business-focused law firm that you work for. There's a lot of like bottom line references, like that phrase, like you know, bottom line focus, improve, uh, increase revenue, improve profits, things like that. It seemed to be your bread and butter. Well, when I meet with entrepreneurs, there's a, a pretty basic question that I ask and, and they answer, and that is, do you want to be a for-profit company or a not-for-profit company? Uh-huh. And most of them do want to be a for-profit company and be profitable. And if they're going to do that, there are certain things that they have to consider. Mm-hmm. Their business model, their revenue model. If they're going to be a for-profit company, it's all about growing the company. Mm, interesting. So here's a question. If you If you... You do a lot of advising to entrepreneurs these days, right? Correct. And have for a while. I have. So let's say I had to, you had to replace yourself with a one-page document that provided as, much, as close to as much value as you provide now. What would you write on there? What would be on there? That's, that is a terrific question. Thanks. Um, what I, I often counsel entrepreneurs to maintain focus. I mean... 90% of the folks that I work with are technical entrepreneurs. These are people that, that create product. Most of them create software, hardware. They're involved in digital media, social media, everything Internet. Mm-hmm. And so a starting point is to really have them focus um, and to ensure that what they're doing, is what they create is going to be needed by a market. Mm. Don't, don't run out and create something first. But make sure that there is a need for what you want to create. Mm-hmm. A couple of times a year, I, I meet entrepreneurs that have created a widget. We'll call it a widget. Yep. Have created a widget. They have poured tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars of time and effort mm-hmm. into creating this product that is finished. Mm-hmm. Only to find out that there's no real need for that product. That mm-hmm. there's no real mar- market for that product. Mm-hmm. And so my advice is for... 
that entrepreneur, the technologist, to really focus on market need before they go out and create anything. Hmm. So, um, so that's at the top page of your sheet. Number one is focus. Focus. Absolutely yep. focus. Don't try to do too many things. Is that what that means? Um, it means make sure that there's a need for what you want to create. Okay. It means that whatever you're going to create, in today's world, it needs to be a need to have, not nice to have. Mm-hmm. The product or service needs to be a necessity, not a nicety. Mm-hmm. In, in, in today's economy, people seldom buy niceties. Uh-huh. And so it has to be really compelling. And so the business needs to be compelling. The business model needs to be compelling. Um, and, and it does mean focus. Um, I often talk about rifle focus, having two or three alternatives to focus on, not 10 or 12 or 20. Mm-hmm. The rifle approach works well. The shotgun approach seldom works well. Hmm. So are, are you familiar with Steve Blank? Um, so he, he has a, uh, I think he's written about this, uh, one of his books is called a Certain Number of Three Steps to the Epiphany. I might be confusing. No. He's, so Steve, Steve Blank is a, uh, writes about customer development, mm-hmm. so which I think is, is very much along the lines of what you're talking about, which is before you do anything, start talking to customers. Get out of the building um, and make sure the thing that you build is something that people actually are excited about. That's exactly right. And, and there's a, a really strong connection with that to building a team as an entrepreneur, particularly as a technical entrepreneur, because most of the folks that I work with at the start are technical by nature, and they're really good at what they do. Mm -hmm. And they also recognize that marketing, marketing and sales, but marketing is not a strength. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, it's really important to bring someone onto your team just for advice and guidance in the, in the marketing realm. Mm. I'm not suggesting an employee. I, I don't want people at this point to run out and, and think they need to hire full-time people mm. or even part-time people. Yeah. But there are some great entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, that are, are really focused on marketing that c- could give great advice and guidance mm. to a technical entrepreneur. So, so yes, um, really focusing on marketing and making sure that there's a market is important. Okay. So we have, so that's at sort of the top of our sheet is make sure you build something that people want. Mm -hmm. What else is on there? Um, Well, building a team is really important Mm -hmm. because you have to, once you decide what you're going to build and if you believe that there is a market for it, Mm -hmm. you need to start thinking about your business model. So how are you going to get this product? Well, not a service, but a product. How are you going to get this product out to the community, Mm -hmm. out to the market that needs it? What's your strategy? And by the way, how are you going to make money at this? So there needs to be a revenue model. Mm -hmm. So business model, revenue model. Um, Having a team around you, again, not full-time employees, but great advisors Mm. are absolutely essential to that. Hmm. So working with people that, that do this for a living. Um, can that help entrepreneurs with their business models, their revenue models, can create projections for you. This is especially important because most companies at some early stage are going to need financing. Mm-hmm. And before you approach financing sources, you have to have uh, a complete package. Your ideas have to be well thought out. 
Your business model has to be well thought out. Your revenue model has to be well thought out. And your projections need credibility. Hmm. Most technical entrepreneurs I know don't have financial expertise sufficient to put together financial models. Hmm. And so to work with someone that does that full time, uh, there are lots of part-time and interim CFOs that work with six to ten companies at a time helping to ensure that their projections have a lot of credibility. Mm. The, the point here is that when you're approaching financing sources, you only have one chance to make a first impression. Mm. You can't undo a first impression. Someone this week told me you can't unring the bell, which is really true. Mm. And so you want your presentation to financing sources to be the very best it can be, Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is have to have great advisors around you that can provide that assistance. Mm. Are there downsides to taking outside investment like this? Do you recommend this for everybody or sometimes no? Well, it depends upon what the the business model is. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are lots of entrepreneurs that, that want to create something and, and for it to stay very small. Mm-hmm. And in fact, their business model may reflect that it generates enough cash where they don't need outside investment. Mm -hmm. And if that's your plan, that's fabulous. In fact, bringing in outside investment often adds complications. It means that you're not just working for yourself anymore, and you're probably not going to be the sole decision maker anymore. You have others to answer to. Mm -hmm. So if that's what you desire, that's a wonderful thing. But in many cases, uh, you, you probably will not be able to drive the growth of the company, to grow the company fast enough mm-hmm. without some kind of outside investment. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of different kinds of outside investment, uh, but it is very, it is different than doing things on your own. Mm. Um, so I, I was researching you for this podcast, and there's a lot of testimonials uh, about you on the firm's website. And um, a lot of them reference your networking ability. Uh, seem to say that you, you have a knack at it. What what makes you so good at that? Well, first, I, I cannot tell you that I'm good at it. Okay. I'll let others speak to that. Okay. I'll just say that part of the value that I try to create mm-hmm. is uh, is to make introductions that, that, that directly affect the challenges that entrepreneurs have. So when I meet an entrepreneur for the first time, they're not a client of the firm. When I'm just introduced to them for the first time, I ask the same first question. Hmm. I've been doing it for four and a half years. I, I guess when I think of a better first question, I'll ask it, but, but here it is. The first question is, what are your three biggest business challenges over the next six to nine months? Mm-hmm. And then I listen. Yeah. And most often those challenges that are named fall into one or more of five categories. Marketing, sales, finance, building teams, raising money. And so the introductions that I make for, for the entrepreneurs with whom I work, the introductions are a direct reflection of the, the challenges they have. Mm. It may be that one of the challenges was a need for a developer or a salesperson or a CFO of some kind. It might be that a challenge was the desire to create an advisory board or board of directors, or maybe they need employee benefits or insurance or new space. Maybe their space is, you know, cramped and they need new space. So there are all kinds of introductions that I make, Mm. including introducing 
clients to other clients because I think there's synergy. Or it may be an entrepreneur to a st- potential strategic partner. Mm-hmm. And it is certainly introducing entrepreneurs to financing sources. Mm-hmm. So um, the success that I have had with introductions is simply a reflection of the business challenges that entrepreneurs have and and my ability to to add a bit of value at each step. So, so is it fair to say that um, to do networking well, you should ask questions and listen and then try to help? Is that a pretty good summary? Um, certainly the listening piece is absolutely critical. It's essential. Mm-hmm. But let me draw a distinction between the word networking and the word connecting. Okay. Because connecting is extraordinarily valuable and networking to me is much less valuable the difference is that there are lots of people that will will meet someone a couple of times a year and view that as networking to me that's a waste of time connecting is all about building relationships and that's where value is really provided Mm. so to me there's a huge difference Hmm. so what how does a a relationship that's a, a real connection differ from someone meeting someone a couple times a year well, in my mind, it's very difficult to build a true relationship by only meeting with someone two times a year. So part of it's frequency? It's certainly frequency, but it's also the desire to create value for the other person and to help them succeed. Hmm. That's a key. Yeah. It seems like uh, some people, when they think of networking, they get this kind of like slightly sleazy feel about it where it, the idea is, I'm networking with you because I want to get something from you. Whereas it seems like the people that have a lot of success making connections and introducing people together are focused in the other direction, which is I meet a new person and I think, how can I help that person? And then, you know, eventually, yes, this will probably benefit you in indirect ways, but the, the focus is, is providing value to others. And in fact, that's uh, probably the most important thing I focus on. Huh. And, and in fact, thank you for, for mentioning that because uh, there's a book that, that I will get you. Okay. It's called Never Eat Alone. I've actually read it. There you go. By, yeah. Ke- by Keith Ferrazzi. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Keith Ferrazzi focuses on that. Essentially, he says that the business model 30 years ago was, was more like a life insurance salesman model, which was, how much life insurance do you have? How much life insurance can I sell you? What's in it for me? Mm-hmm. But today, it's the exact opposite. It's all about creating value for others first. Mm-hmm. That's really important, and that's the principle I try to live by. Okay. So that would go on, on your one-pager as well? That would be near the top. Near the top. What, what else is on there? What haven't we covered? Um, more advice for entrepreneurs that are just starting companies mm. would be to, uh, to be proactive, make things happen. Mm. Don't sit and wait. Uh, very little comes to those who wait. Do we have time for a, a very quick story? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first people that, uh, that I worked with, he was probably 15 or 20 years my senior, he told me a story and he said, Steve, they're, they're, think about this as though you're in a train, on a train. You have three choices. You can sit in the engine, you can drive the engine, and that's the very best place to be because you get to decide which tracks you're on, You get to decide your destination, the speed at which you're going. You control your destiny. That's the best place. The second choice is the passenger car, which is really very comfortable. You're going along for the ride, 
but you don't control where you're going or the speed, but it's a comfortable, it's comfortable passage. Mm. The very worst place to be is the third choice, which is you're standing on the platform waiting for the train to leave. The train starts to pull out. You, fit, you decide you have to be on that train, and you grab the caboose by your fingernails. Mm. It's the worst place to be because it's totally uncomfortable. It's totally reactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my advice to business, earlier-stage business folks is to be in the engine. That's the place you want to be. Make the decisions. Be proactive. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to be there, then maybe you're not an entrepreneur. Maybe that's not the right the field for you because some people want to be in the passenger car. Uh, I I don't know of many successful entrepreneurs and business leaders mm-hmm. that are in the passenger car. Sure. Successful entrepreneurs are typically in the engine. Mm-hmm. N- not necessarily by themselves. There can be others in the in the in the locomotive in the engine with them, but they need to be there. Got it. So, do you like your job? Love it. Yeah. And, and in fact. Um, I will also admit to you that uh, I often wake up in the morning and pinch myself because I get paid for doing something I love. Mm-hmm. This isn't a job at all. Hmm. This is uh, a lot of fun. Every day is fun because I get to work with entrepreneurs, and I do ask that question over and over again about their three biggest business challenges, mm-hmm. and I get to help. Hmm. So you're uh, you're part of a law firm, so... Is the, the model that happens, a client will come in and they're having some sort of problems, they'll say, you got to talk to Steve? On occasion that happens, mm-hmm. but it usually happens the other way around. Mm-hmm. I'm introduced to entrepreneurs by trusted business advisors, accountants or bankers or consultants or venture capitalists or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm introduced by the these trusted business advisors. The individuals, the companies are not clients when I meet them. Mm-hmm. And so the business model is if I do a good enough job building a relationship and creating value, if and when they have a need for legal services, they come back. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So do you, is it almost a, a commission situation then with you at the law firm? You mean commission for me? Yeah. Oh, no. I'm, I'm a partner in the firm. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but the model works really well. Yeah. So you're almost business development for your own law firm. Almost. I, I don't consider myself to be business development. I consider myself to be a, a business consultant uh-huh. that creates value and builds relationships. And through that, business is developed. Gotcha. What parts, any parts of your job you don't like? What's the worst part of your job? There is no worst part of the job. The best part of my job is that we don't bill my time. Uh-huh. I'm free. I'm a value-added resource, mm-hmm. so I, there are no time slips. There is no billing to, uh, to entrepreneurs, to clients. Um, that's tremendous. Mm. Um, your, your picture on the website, you're holding what I'm pretty sure is good to great. It is. Is that an important book to you? It is. Why? Um, good to great reminds me of being in the engine again, uh-huh. in the locomotive, and making things happen. Mm-hmm. It's about being really focused and taking the right steps to success and not letting anything stand in the way. Hmm. So a worthwhile read for people? Absolutely. Awesome. Right Uh, after Never Eat Alone. Okay. That order? One, two? Yes. Okay. Um, What was the last thing you were wrong about? I'm wrong about things every day. In fact, I'm wrong much more often than I'm right. (laughs) Um, I'll often tell entrepreneurs that it 
I, I just offer a single opinion. If they meet with ten different <clears throat> ten different people, they could get ten different opinions. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm often wrong. Yeah. And, and I couch my advice in that fashion. Um, I I don't ever think my opinion is the only opinion. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's great about being in this ecosystem, the tech ecosystem, because there are a lot of really smart people, a lot smarter than I am, that have great experiences. And, and to bring those people together as a group of advisors to help an entrepreneur, it's wonderful to be able to listen to that advice and guidance, mm-hmm. to synthesize it, and then to make your own decision. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting. The more – so I noticed this in a lot of experienced – in talking to people that are veterans in whatever industry – they start to couch their opinions more and more, and they say things that are fewer and fewer absolutes. And I've noticed this even myself. Like the more I learn about programming, the fewer things I'm comfortable saying, like, this is always a good idea, or this is definitely what you should do. And it's more like, well, I would think about this from this direction and maybe consider this and then make a decision. I feel like the more experience you get in almost anything, the more you realize that there's nuance in almost everything. There's just there's just fewer and fewer black and whites as you get a better feel for the whole picture. And there are lots of right answers, mm-hmm. a lot of right answers. Just because an answer is different from mine, an alternative that's offered is different from mine, doesn't mean that it's bad. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are lots of alternatives that will work. Mm. Uh, someone asked you a question that someone... Um, taught me recently. What are your three biggest personal goals in the next six to nine months? Oh, that's, um, you should have prepared me for that. (laughs) Uh, So the three biggest personal goals, um, the first is to continue to, to meet entrepreneurs and to make a difference, Mm -hmm. uh, to make a difference to them personally, to make a difference in helping to grow their company. Um, that's a continued personal goal. Um, I want to continue to have fun. And the way that I do that is to, when I meet entrepreneurs, people often ask, how do I decide with whom I want to work? Mm-hmm. And the the first criteria for me is always the entrepreneur. Is it going to be fun? If it's not going to be fun, then I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. So it, it I want to continue to do that. Um, the third, The third goal... Um, it's certainly not to take less time off because, uh, I, I try not to take time off at all Really, uh, because I love being in the office and love being out at, at customer site, client sites and learning about their businesses. Um, so that, that's what happens when it's not a job. Yeah. Do you have family? I do. Does that being away that much, uh, is that a, an issue? Well, my uh, my kids are are out of the house and have their own uh, their own lives. They both live in New York City. Mm-hmm. We try to go down uh, at least once a month to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, but work being in the office by you know six fifteen or six thirty in the morning is is pretty common. Mm-hmm. Or being out with entrepreneurs at at a very early breakfast mm-hmm. is common. Mm-hmm. And being out at at dinner meetings or you know, just to meet and and being home by. 7, 7.30 or 8 is common. Mm-hmm. But when you love what you, what you do, it's a treat. Sure. Uh, what's your... Okay, so I'm going to give you a hypothetical. So say your house is on fire and all your loved ones and pets have already been rescued and everything is okay. Uh, but you have time to safely run in one more time and grab one thing. What do you get? 
uh, well, let's say I have two arms, and I'll grab All right. I'll grab some pictures. Uh-huh. You know, the photo albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do have a filing cabinet upstairs with all of the important papers in it. Uh-huh. So I'd probably grab the filing cabinet. Okay. So uh, with important documents, maybe time for a fireproof safe or something like that, or off-site storage? Uh, probably right. Didn't you used to work for data backup companies? Exactly. So you know the dangers here. Of, of course I do. You might even have a contact or two that would help you uh, store this information. Perfect. <laughs> or I can make an intro if you need one. Thanks. Yeah. Um. You know, I, I think that's all I have for you, Steve. I think it's, it's been great talking to you. This has been a real treat. Yeah, likewise. I uh, appreciate you coming in. Thank you. Will you have me back again? Absolutely. I'd love it. Yeah, and uh, feel free to send any interesting entrepreneurs that you think we should talk to over here. Great idea. Cool. Uh, so, Steve, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way to get in touch is uh, by email. Okay. And my email address is steve.snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, at gesmer, G-E-S-M-E-R, dot com. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Cool. Uh, any, anything else you want to plug, or websites, or people, or Twitter, or anything? Or is that good? Uh, well, they can always go to uh, gesmer, dot com and uh, learn more about the firm, but the email address is the best way to get me. All right. Awesome. Um, so if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 34. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna, edited by Edward Lovell, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.